Hey everybody and welcome. I'm glad you're joining me for this series. It's called The Resurrection, Then What? And we are in session three. This is called the From the Great Commission to the Ascension of Christ. And so let's review. Let's go back to Resurrection Day and just make sure we get the chronology of what is happening in the, in the uh, life of Jesus after he arose. So first he appeared to Mary Magdalene, who then ran and told Peter and John. And then four or five hours later, he meets up with Cleopas and the other no-name person. Um, and they were on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus found them very sad. And he reminded them of all the prophecies of scripture. And he actually taught them how to understand the scripture. And and then that evening, he appeared to those frightened disciples who were held up in a room uh, where they were fearing for their lives. They were there except for Thomas. And then um, he shared with them those prophecies again, and he commissioned them to go and tell. <coughs> Next, we move to eight days later, and this is when Jesus appeared to Thomas. <coughs> now, he appeared... Then to uh, some seven of the disciples on the shore of Galilee. Remember, that's where he had told the women to say for the disciples to go and meet him there. And so they did. He then uh, taught them a wonderful lesson. He taught them about how to fish and how to listen to him for where to find those fish. And then he cooked for them. And then we have this beautiful scene with Jesus and Peter, where Peter is now forgiven and he is commissioned. Jesus moves him from being a fisherman to being an evangelist. Well, today we are going to take a look at the Great Commission, and we're going to see uh, what he tells his disciples and all of his followers to do, and then we will uh, close with the ascension to heaven. Well, Let's look at uh, where we are now with the, the story, the chronology. At some point after the resurrection, we know from Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, Jesus appeared to more than 500 of his followers. Now, remember, Jesus is being very intentional to get a whole host of eyewitnesses to seeing him after the resurrection. So we find in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time most of whom are still alive. And that was at the time of the writing of this letter. And he said, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all of the apostles. So Paul tells us that Jesus is now seen by Peter, then the disciples, over 500 uh, people. And then he appeared to James. This is probably referring to the half brother of Jesus. And if you recall, uh, he did not, believe that Jesus was the Messiah and, uh, before the resurrection. So now he is appearing to this half-brother, and he is now an eyewitness to the fact that Jesus has risen. Well, we're going to see that he later becomes very involved in, in the growing church in Jerusalem. So we see that the eyewitnesses are 
are growing. So we're going to move now to another appearance with the disciples. And this appearance uh, was not unexpected like some of the others. He had prearranged this meeting. It was a very important one. And it's uh, one that had been spoken about uh, uh, when he asked the women to go and have him to meet in Galilee. This meeting is what I would call the sending out sermon. Uh, it's his final lesson, his final instruction to his followers. Uh, it's a message to them and it's a message to us. We call it the Great Commission. We're going to read in Matthew 28 verses 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, first thing they did, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told the disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, last words are really important. Uh, some of you may be holding on to the last words of one of your loved ones uh, before they died, and those are special and important words for you to remember. Well, these are the last words of Jesus before he ascends to heaven. So we want to pay special attention because we know how intentional Jesus always was. Uh, so we call this the Great Commission. So there on this mountain that's overlooking miles of the country, Jesus commissioned them to go out to all the nations and to make disciples. He is doing this after the three and a half years he had them in ministry, he was teaching them and coaching them. It's after his death and his resurrection. And Jesus uh, has convinced now all of those who are there gathered that he did rise from the dead. So he meets with them to tell them the next steps. And, and a commission, in a commission, and this is what a commission is it's an instruction, a command, or a duty given to a person or a group of people. Well, Jesus tells them, I'm doing this as an authority. I have authority <coughs> from heaven and earth. This then is an instruction from God. So it is an ordained instruction I'm giving you. And so he said, knowing that, therefore, here are your marching orders. Let's look at the verbs he uses in this instruction. His first one he says is go. And that means go everywhere. Go in our world and in the world, through all the highways and the byways of life, in all of our comings and all of our goings, just as he was telling the disciples. And then he said to them the verb make. Make disciples. Well, who are disciples? The standard definition of disciple is someone who adheres to the teachings of another, a follower or a learner. It refers to the one who takes up the ways of somebody else. 
and applied to Jesus, then a disciple is someone who learns from him to live like him. So we are now disciples, followers of Jesus, because we want to be like him. You know, our mission at Christ Church is learning to live the ways of Jesus Christ and inviting all to follow him. I think that is a beautiful description of what it means to be a disciple and to disciple others. Well, Bob Harrington is one of the leaders of discipleship.org, and he provides what I think is a really interesting way to look at a disciple, and he gets it from the words of Jesus found in Matthew 4, 19, and it's when Jesus was calling his own disciples, and the scripture says, Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. So we can look at this and see it's giving us a wonderful framework about, of about three key points that help us to understand what Jesus meant when he's talking about discipling. First of all, it says following Jesus. Um, it's uh, come follow me, follow Jesus, follow him with your, your head, your body, your movements. And then it implies that you're going to be changed by following him. Come, if you start following me, you're going to be changed through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. And then you're going to become fishers of men because he's going to show us how to do that. And so that means that if we're going to be fishing for other people and discipling other people, we are committed to this mission of Christ and we're going to then invite other people. So this definition is so, uh, it might look like this, a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. Well, all right, so now we know he has given two verbs. We've looked at go and we've looked at make, and the next one is baptizing, baptizing them. Notice that baptizing comes after the decision to be a disciple. Notice it's done in the name, and that name is singular. It's not names, and it is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the Trinity. Jesus is now speaking about the Trinity, or, or what's called a tripartite being, one. He doesn't speak of these as separate. Well, the word Trinity is not used in the Bible, but Jesus is clearly describing this three part of, of, of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's putting all of that together for his listeners. All right, the next verb is to teach. Teaching continues after the decision to be a disciple and then to be baptized. See, the decision is the first step, and then we spend the rest of our lives learning. This is called sanctification, where we're daily trying to draw closer to Christ by uh, being uh, taught and by learning the steps that we need to follow Jesus. Well, what are they to teach? We get that in the next verb. It's obey to obey all the commands that Jesus gave. Now, remember, he taught them the most important. Remember, he said the most important is to love God, 
um, and love him with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your being, every part of you, and then to love others. Those were the two important commands that Jesus told them. So he, he says that's what we do when we, we are discipling people. We teach them to obey and obey these commands I've given you. <clears throat> I like to look at this commission in connection with the great commandment to love God and to love others. So think about how those principles are connected. First of all, he says the great commission is to go out and to uh, teach others to uh, become a follower. And then the way to do that, to become a fisher of people is to love them, to love God and to love others. So those principles fit together so well. Love God and love your neighbor and make disciples. Well, think about how overwhelming that might have been for those disciples who heard that, oh, they had a lot to do to go out and to make disciples of everyone. How challenging would that be? How challenging is it today for us to live by that commission and to fulfill that commission? Well, uh, he's telling them that this is important for them to do and that he is going to be with them always. Now, that's where I think it gets a little interesting because he says, I'll be with you always, even though I'm leaving you. But what he tells them, he's leaving, but he is going to send somebody who's going to be their advocate. Now, let's see how that works out. So we now move into the book of Acts written by Luke, and it is called the Acts of the Apostles. And so we find out what happens next uh, as, we, as the apostles are sent out with this great commission. So here's what we read in Acts 1, beginning with verse 3. After his death, he presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. In face-to-face -face meetings, he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. And they met and ate meals together. And he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem, but must wait for what the Father promised, the promise you heard from me. John baptized in water, and you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit and soon. And then verse 6 says, when they were together for the last time, they asked, Master, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? See, they're still a little confused about his purpose. Um, they're still thinking it's an earthly purpose. And he said, is this, they said, is this the time? And Jesus said, he, t uh, he told them, you don't get to know the time. Timing is the Father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, then you're going to be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, here at home in your city, out in Judea, which is the next big area. And then Samaria is like this greater part of the whole world, even to the ends of the world, he tells them. So this is, is about what has happened during those 40 days after his resurrection when he appeared to the apostles in so many different ways. And on this particular day, which appears to be the day of the ascension, he is eating with them in Jerusalem. 
Again, Jesus used mealtime as the time to share news and to share fellowship with them. And he opened to them, once again, their understanding of the scripture. He has been so intentional to teach them since, well, he taught them for three and a half years, and then he continues to teach them about the scriptures and understanding them. Uh, at, even at this, his final speech, it's such an important takeaway for us to remember that there is much to be learned from scripture and to be understood. And he told them he's going to send the spirit and that they need to stay right there in Jerusalem. Just wait for it wait for it, he says. Uh, well, after the meal, he had uh, the, the apostles in Jerusalem, and then he led them to another place, and it's uh, the place of Bethany, on specifically the Mount of Olives. That would have been just about a half a mile walk. I've walked that. I, I've, I've walked that beautiful trek from the Mount of Olives down the hill to Jerusalem, and I've walked it back up. I remember a beautiful spot there at the Greek Monastery of the Ascension at the Mount of Olives, where they, they believe that Jesus did ascend into heaven. And so I think about that walk from Jerusalem up to the Mount of Olives, and I wonder, what were they talking about on that walk? They weren't sure what was getting ready to happen. Uh, but when they arrived at the place, it seems that uh, very little was said. But Jesus does give them a final blessing. He lifted his hands and he blessed them. And while he did this, he was taken up into heaven, the scripture tells us. Oh, wow. I'm thinking that the father was saying to himself and to Jesus, the time has come, come on home. And so he uh, had his hands outstretched and he, he ascends into heaven with that final blessing. You know, we see that Jesus has been preparing his followers for this for a long time. He did it with individuals. He did it with pairs. He did it with large groups. He prepared them for his departure. He spent 40 days doing this. He taught them about the kingdom of God, and he answered many questions, and he planned uh, the, for how the church was going to grow, and he appointed a new leader for the church when he appointed Peter. This 40-day period is the in-between time that Jesus used so effectively, and that 50 people uh, heard, saw that Jesus was alive, and he used it very intentionally. It was during this time that the disciples um, became fearless in their loyalty. Uh, they risked their lives to spread the good news. They faced beatings and imprisonment and rejection, and yet the mission to further God's kingdom was much stronger to them than their fear of death, and that is where they used their faith over their fear. What a powerful in-between time. The church began during the in-between time, and the world was changed because of it. You know, we have our own in-between times, don't we? The times when we're waiting for a diagnosis 
or for test results or the birth of a child or a job offer or maybe we're waiting for an apology from somebody. We all live through in-between times. Are you open to learning during the in-between times just as the, the apostles did? They were open to learning and he was pouring into them. He was teaching them in the in-between time and there were lessons to be learned. There are lessons to be learned in our in-between time too. I hope you'll think about that in the days to come. What might God be teaching me right now as I am waiting for something to happen? Uh, that's my in-between time. <clears throat> Well, during this time, you can imagine they were filled with excitement. They had a lot of questions. There was anticipation. A lot of emotions must have been experienced. And it was probably very bittersweet knowing that Jesus was alive, but he was saying he was going to leave them. He's sending the Holy Spirit to them. And so the story of Jesus uh, had had started when he left heaven to come to earth and now it's ending when he leaves earth to go to heaven and luke is our author that tells us in two books about this ascension he ends the gospel of luke with the text about what happened and then he begins the book of the acts of the apostles telling us the story of how this happened the ascension happened and then the coming of the holy spirit the great commission and the establishment of the church and all the while he is jesus is telling them you're the witnesses you're the witnesses be ready to go and tell uh, we, we read again in Luke 24, verse 49, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as the Father promised, but you have to stay here. Remember, stay here until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. This had to be a hard waiting period. Um, that first time he told them that was eight days after the resurrection, and now we are at 40 days after the resurrection. Imagine it each time they're there, each day they must be wondering, is this it? Is this it? I kind of think of um, a, a race uh, of cars at the, uh, one of the big racetracks when they're all sitting on ready and they're waiting for the, the green light, the green flag to send them on their way. And they're waiting with anticipation and excitement and they're revving their engines, engines and they just don't know when it's going to happen. And so we know that he has empowered them. He has encouraged them. He has made appearances to them. And then it is ready for him to leave. I want us to look at how uh, Luke portrays that in chapter 24, verse 50. Then Jesus led them to Bethany, lifting his hands to heaven. He blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. See, we have no idea how that looked. There are so many pieces of art that give an impression of how it might have looked to, for him to be whisked away and uh, with his hands lifted up. We just can't even imagine how it must have looked and how breathtaking that moment was. And I think what's really key is looking at what they did after Jesus ascended. Verse 52 tells us, so they worshiped him and then returned to Jerusalem filled with 
great joy. And here's how they spent their time. They spent all of their time in the temple praising God. They witnessed a miracle and they spent their time praising him. And isn't that a wonderful way uh, for us to do? After we've received good news, we've received good port reports, we've had healings, we've ha experienced a miracle, we've had good things happen to us, are we spending our time in praise and worship? You know, this is one of those passages I want more. I want to know more. I want to know all the details, what everybody was saying, what everybody was doing, how it really looked. And we only get four verses of this most dramatic exit scene and entrance into heaven scene. And so I want to say, come on, Luke, why can't you just give us a little bit more? Um, but he does give us a little more in his next book, The Acts of the Apostles. And so let's see what he tells us in Acts 1, beginning with verse 6. So in so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. But you will receive power. See, there's where he's telling them they're going to get power. They're going to get help. They're going to get encouragement. That the Holy Spirit's going to be the advocate for them when he does come. And he says, you're going to get power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you're going to be my witnesses, telling people about me, me everywhere in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him as they strained to see him rising into heaven. And here's something new we learn. Two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday, someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Now let's explore what we know from this scene. Jesus took them from Jerusalem. That's been the home base for them for 40 days. They, they couldn't leave. He said, stay there. I'm going to, uh, they met with him in Galilee. They said, he says, you know, stay here in this vicinity. And then he walked them to Bethany, a suburb of Jerusalem. This was a special place for him. It's where uh, his friends, those siblings, Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. Uh, it's, it's where the Garden of Gethsemane is. It's the Mount of Olives where Jesus prayed. And this is a special place. So he leads them to there and lifts his hands. Now, when he's lifting his hands, it's a common gesture. And it would have been common then, and it's a common one now. When we lift our hands, we're lifting them in worship and praise and we're holding them up uh, toward God in praise for God. And it's, it reminds me of the verse that says, every good and perfect gift uh, comes down from the Father of lights, the Father of lights who's shining on us and asking us to shine for him. And the last thing then is this blessing he gives them. He had already given them their commission and their training, and now he is blessing them. So, 
We see in this 40 days, the disciples had gone from the depths of despair on that Friday night of the crucifixion to those uh, emotions of confusion and excitement all at the same time and awe and wonder at the resurrection. And then over the next days, they were uh, living in confusion and excitement again. And then they watched him go. They had walked with him, they had eaten with him, they had talked with him, they had spent endless nights with him, traveling with him. Jesus had served them breakfast, and now we watched him leave. They were the eyewitnesses to this. They knew that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. And these white-robed angels said, wait, he's coming again one day, one day. That was a prophecy he was giving. And remember, all prophecies come true. Jesus would return the same way he had departed. He was bold, he was visible, and he was intentional. And that's how he will return. We don't know when it's going to be. But what I love reading is that they returned to Jerusalem and had a prayer meeting. They spent their time worshiping him. We can learn so much from that about how to have a prayer and praise session when we have been in awe and wonder of something that Jesus has done. Well, these disciples still had some business to take care of. One of their own had betrayed Jesus and had betrayed his mission, and he needed to be replaced. They had 11, and knowing that they have been called to minister to the world, they're going to need that next person. So they have a business meeting. Imagine the pressure they must have felt finding the correct person to join the group of these disciples. Jesus had chosen the original 12, and now he was gone. And so they knew this decision needed to be the right one. They needed God to help them. They needed to choose the right person to spread this message of the good news. And so they gathered in a house. They had 120 people in the room. They consulted the teachings of Scripture from the Old Testament. They studied prophecy that David had said about the very thing that had happened with Judah. Psalm 49, verse 9 says, Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food, has turned against me prophetic statement about Judas. So they were reminding themselves that this was prophesied, that Jesus would be betrayed. So they had in that room, the people who had been a part of the ministry, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. His brothers were there praying. And so they decided (coughs) they needed to have somebody, they had criteria, somebody that'd been a part of the ministry all the time and that knew Jesus well and somebody that they could trust. So they gathered up some names of some men to consider. They narrowed it down to two. Matthias was one of those. And Matthias had been a part of the group from the beginning, an early follower. And they prayed, God, is this the one that you would have us to choose? And then they did what was the practice then for an election. It was called casting lots. That was a normal practice. And Matthias was the one chosen. We learn in Acts 1.26, then they cast lots and Matthias was selected to become 
an apostle with the other 11. So now the disciples became apostles. Disciples are those followers and learners. And apostles now uh, have a real a different designation as messengers or missionaries. I think we can learn from how they handled this dilemma, this choice, this decision. I think we can learn some things to put in our own practice when we have a problem to solve, a dilemma to deal with. First of all, they prayed to God for wisdom and they asked others to join them in prayer. They determined, determined there was criteria. This person must have been a must need, needed to have been a follower of Jesus. So, but they had a criteria that they used. This was the important part of making the decision. They the decision then had to follow the teachings of Scripture, and they referred back to the Old Testament teachings. And so, those were criteria that I believe that we can use. These early followers inspire us. They encourage us to obey and to go and tell and invite others. And you know, that seems overwhelming at times until we remember we have been equipped. We're going to learn next week about the coming of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit equips us to fulfill the Great Commission in our own special way. And so we'll learn about those gifts that he gives us to help disciple others. But Overall, here's what I think he tells us. I think he tells us to let our lives speak for him, to let our lives shine, to let our lives shine through how we listen and how we love, especially when it might be hard. It might cost us something. I think he tells us to let our lives shine as we walk along Inside those who are hurting, who are broken, who, or who are living in the margins. I think he tells us to let our lives shine by choosing to be in relationship instead of being right. I think he tells us to let our life shine by using our gifts and our time and our talents and our resources for the work of God. And I think he tells us to shine by living out the lessons we learn from God's word. You know, to shine is like having this big basket full of seeds and, and somehow they get spilled and the seeds are all over the ground. And here's what happens to those seeds. Some of those seeds get picked up by, by birds and, and they're sprinkled in other places at where they, they become live and they grow. And then other seeds uh, get watered by the rain and they start to flow down to streams and into new places where they've washed away and they begin to grow. And some of those seeds stay right where they are and they take root and they begin to grow and multiply. I think of this group that I am so blessed to lead as um, a group of seed sisters. Seed sisters learning about God's ways together, inviting others to join and be a part of this good news. Um, I am reminded that we are seed sisters in fellowship with each other and that we are caring for the needs of others.
I am so glad to be a part of sisters who are committed to living out both the, the great commandment and the great commission as seed sisters. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you sent your son to live on this earth and to walk as we walk and to experience the things we experience. And then you allowed him to die for our sakes uh, so that we could be forgiven of our sins and that we could live in eternal life if we give our hearts to you. And I thank you that you have called us. You've called us to love you and to love others and then to disciple all that we meet. Help us to become good seeds for you, to shine for you and let our life speak for you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much and God bless.